The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to the crowds, Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will not reject anyone who comes to me, because I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose anything of what he gave me, but that I should raise it on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I shall raise him up on the last day. The Gospel of the Lord. We kick off the month of November with these two feasts of All Saints on November 1st and All Souls on November 2nd. And because All Souls falls on a Saturday, the Church gives us the option of celebrating it today. And we are invited to look up to the last things in this month. The reality of death, the reality of judgment, the reality of heaven, and the reality of hell what we call the four last things. Usually we don't think about them. And that's why we have a month especially devoted to be mindful of these realities. And today in the Feast of All Souls, we are called to remember this beautiful duty or responsibility of praying for the faithful departed. And this feast or this commemoration allow us to reflect on the reality of purgatory. I know like Sunday morning, Father, you're going to speak about purgatory. But you got one extra hour of sleep, so your mind is fresh, hopefully. It's something we don't think about too much, either because of ignorance or I would say also because of lack of faith. Sometimes we don't believe in those things as much. The Catechism has three points about purgatory. The first one, that is 1030, says, All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are and indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. It's a brief definition of what is purgatory. We need to die in God's grace and friendship. We might be imperfectly purified. We are assured of salvation, but we don't have the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. It reminds me when I have to write papers, I usually send it to someone whose English is their first language. So my imperfect English is purified and proofread by someone who knows more and is ready for the final perfection, or at least as much perfection I can write. So it's true that purgatory is not explicitly mentioned in the Bible, but it's 
very much implicitly mentioned and very much in line with all the principles that Revelation gives us and also is present in Catholic tradition since the beginning. So let me highlight three principles that we have in scriptures that allow us to understand better why is this so important. The first one is that nothing unholy can enter the presence of God. This is all over the Bible. For example, Hebrews 12 says, strive for peace with everyone and for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So God is holy and heaven is a place of holiness and nothing unholy can enter the presence of God. It's a place of peace, reconciliation, love. So no unholiness can enter the presence of God. No road rage can enter the presence of God. No fights against brothers and sisters for their inheritance can enter the presence of God. No attachment to your cell phone can enter the presence of God, and so on and so forth. In 1 John... We have a similar message. We shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope based on him makes himself pure as he is pure. Beautiful promise. We shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. You will contemplate the face of God and become more like him. And he is pure and we will be pure. So, in this sense, purgatory makes sense. It is a final purification that we want to endure because we don't want to kind of pollute that holy place that is heaven. It's like when you are sick and you don't want to go to work. Usually, we don't want to go to work anyway, but when you're sick, you don't want to contaminate with your cold or your flu those who are healthy. So that's the first biblical principle. Nothing unholy can enter the presence of God. And we might undergo a final purification to achieve that holiness necessary for the joy of heaven. The second one is the notion of fire. In the Bible, we find many times the purifying fire of God. In the book of wisdom, today we read, as gold in the furnace, he proved them. And as a sacrificial offering, he took them to himself. In the time of their visitation, they shall shine. So wisdom says, your soul is like gold in the furnace. It might have stained, and that gold will purify it over and over. But the goal is not that you suffer, but that you shine with that perfect holiness of God. So that's also another aspect of purgatory, this purifying fire, purifying all our imperfections, purifying your sinful attachments, purifying the coldness of heart, purifying the sins of our youth, purifying all our cold communions, Purifying our attachment to things, purifying our rejection of others, purifying our vanity, 
purifying, treating money as an idol, and so on and so forth. As, as any purification and any contact with fire, purgatory has an aspect of suffering. If you put your hand in the fire, it burns. So I think there is some aspect of a literal meaning in the sense of fire. But at the same time, it's a sweet suffering. It's a sweet purification. It's kind of bittersweet. Many souls in purgatory appeared to many people who pray for them, and they express that kind of double sense of the purifying fire that in one place, in one hand, is something that is painful, but on the other side, something you want to undergo. It's a fire that purifies you, but at the same time, it's an aspect of consolation because you know you are moving forward to our final perfection. You are shining more and more. Pope Benedict in Spes Salvi, the Encyclical on Hope, number 47, has this beautiful summary of this kind of twofold aspect of the fire that purifies but also transforms. He's speaking about Jesus and that encounter with him. We should think about this. Before his gaze, the gaze of Jesus, all falsehood melts away. This encounter with him, as it burns, transforms, and frees us, allowing us to become truly ourselves. His gaze, the touch of his heart, heals us, and through undeniable, painful transformation, as through fire, but it is a blessed pain in which the holy power of his love sears through us like a flame, enabling us to become totally ourselves and thus totally of God. This is beautiful. You should think often of that final encounter with Christ. You should think often that one day we will be face to face before him before his face, before his gaze, full of light, full of love, all our lies, all our masks, all our falsehood will melt down. The touch of his heart in our heart will heal us and transform us and it's gonna be painful in a sense, but it's a blessed pain because you will begin to love like he loves. You will be totally of God, says Pope Benedict. So in this sense, also purgatory makes sense. That we might need a final purification as through fire. So the love of God possess your whole being. And finally, the last principle is a principle of the communion of saints. In the second book of Maccabees, we find the story of these Jewish people who go into battle and many of them, they put idols under their garments. So when they go to battle against the Greeks, they die because of this sin of idolatry. So when they find these idols hiding, the faithful Jewish people, they pray for them. And this is what they say of the Maccabees. 
of Judas Maccabees, he made atonement for the dead that they might be absolved from their sin. This is an Old Testament book. Protestants don't have this book. No, they took it out. But he made atonement so they pray for the dead that they might be absolved from their sin. So the last principle in biblical revelation is that since the beginning, we have prayed for the beloved dead, believing and knowing that our prayers can influence, can help them, can speed up, in a sense, that process of purification. So purgatory stems from this communion of saints. On first day of November, we celebrated the triumphant church praying for the pilgrim church. The church in heaven praying for us, I keep going, encouraging us, interceding for us. And today we celebrate the pilgrim church, you and me, praying for the suffering church, knowing that that prayer can influence them. It's a beautiful duty of love to pray for the beloved dead. I just came across this quote from Isidore of Seville. He was born in the year 560. So this is not a new thing, not an addition of the Catholic Church. He says, already in the year 500, the offering of the sacrifice for the dead is a custom taught by the apostles themselves. In effect, the Catholic Church observes it everywhere. Now, if the church did not believe in the forgiveness of sins for the faithful who have died, she would not give alms for their souls, nor would she offer the sacrifice to God for them. So the apostles, they taught us to pray for the dead. And the church observes it everywhere, not only in Spain. And we believe that we can give alms, offer the sacrifice of the mass for them. So that's kind of your homework for this month. Pray for the people who you know who have passed. Pray that they may enter the glory of God. Write down their names, keep them in your Bible. Offer your prayers at Mass when you pray the Rosary. And I finish with this. In my bedroom I have this beautiful icon of Jesus. If you see in the middle of his face, one side is more kind of a stern gaze of Jesus. The other one is more tender. So this icon kind of combines two principles that are very important and we could, should keep in balance. On one side, this side, because if I say my left side, your right side, this side represents Jesus as a just judge. Jesus as the one who will judge all actions. The one who sees the silence of our hearts. The one about whom Isaiah says we cannot mock God. And that aspect of God, his judgment, his justice, inspires a little bit of fear. And it's one of the aspects, that holiness, we need to enter heaven. 
But on the other side, we have Jesus as the good shepherd. The one who judges is the one who came, who died on the cross. The one who judges is the God of mercy. The one who judges is the one about whom Paul says, when we were sinners, he died for us. So how much more, now that we're justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath. So he's the just judge, but also the good shepherd. And we need to trust 